0: Is up, everybody! Glad to be back to push you forward to the second part of your week. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Blake Beasley, and this is a Forty Percent BS Podcast. But I'm only half of what is presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. The other half is
1: what's up, y'all! Ten percent of the BS here, Spencer Mose on the table, going with Blake Beasley, ready to chop it up today for you folks. We got got a lot of things to talk about in the NBA, NFL, and excited to be here once again every Wednesday uh, with Blake Beasley.
0: Yeah, and we'll have a special guest, Dylan Holt, return actually, our first two-time guest, and he will be back later on during this show when it's time to talk about the Tennessee Bulls. But first thing we have to talk about is something also orange, you know, Phoenix Suns legend Steve Nash was fired after a two and five stunt to the season. He won 60% of his games. He had a seven and nine playoff record, finishing it with being swept by Boston. What do you think of the firing, Spencer? Uh
1: I think it, it needed to come. I know me and you talked about this on a, on a previous podcast. We actually just threw it in at the end somewhere about uh, Brooklyn and kind of the downfall that was coming. And I think, I think you have to go with firing Steve Nash right away. It was, it was obvious that you, you weren't going to get everything out of the Brooklyn Nets, especially with Kevin Durant, not wanting Steve Nash there. And originally when he was talking to the GM and the owners in the offseason, he says, basically it's either me or Steve Nash. And so they chose KD over him. And I think it's a smart decision. Steve Nash has really not been the answer to the coaching decision in Brooklyn. Um, As you can see, I mean, he won 60% of the games, like you said, and really made some questionable decisions uh, last year in the postseason. And so I think maybe going out and I mean, there's talks of them getting M.A. Doka. I think this would be uh, probably a really good pickup for them. Like he came to the Celtics last year and you have Tatum and, and Brown there. And I think that, I think that would greatly coincide with, having Kyrie Irving and Katie he kind of could do the same things that he was doing in, in, in Boston with, with the team in Brooklyn. Um, so I, ho- I hope they hire Eme, give him another chance, especially because how good of a coach he was last year. And we kind of saw the play style that Boston was running. And I think that especially if they're going to hire Eme in Brooklyn, I think it could reap the benefits from Katie and Kyrie because they're, I mean, they're shooting the ball so much the ball on their hands are all the time. And you saw when the Celtics got Ime, uh, they really started spreading the ball around, getting others involved, uh, and and actually helped Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out uh, down the course of the season.
0: Yeah, what I think is really interesting, uh, more for the Nets aspect, and I thought of this right now, uh, when you mentioned Katie. Steve Nash was what, like, about this many inches from Kevin hitting that shot, beating the Nets, and then them going to the finals, and he's probably still a head coach right now? Yeah. That's actually insane. <laughs> when you really kind of like put that into words. So you think about how close it is also like winning 60% of your games, back-to-back playoff appearances. That that is great. If you don't have James Harden, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on your team, just the fact that those players were on a squad and they were not very good overall defensively. I remember vividly, I think it was game three against uh, the bucks. Yeah. Game three against the bucks about two years ago. And one of the players went down and I just remember literally watching them for a whole quarter. And thinking, I don't think they've ran a single offensive set this entire time. It seemed like we talked about who mixed it, but it seemed like he was literally just sitting there like, hey, Kyrie, cook him." Like there was no type of structure under Steve Nash in that offense. So I think it was a long time coming.
1: Yeah, no, I fully agree, and especially getting Brooklyn pieces back. um, I think could be a huge factor. I mean, they didn't have a lot of key players last year with Kyrie Irving sitting, sitting out, especially with COVID. Um, and everything going on and so i I hope that they that they turn this around but obviously they did need a coaching change it was either really the coaching change or they were gonna have to uh katie and Kyrie were probably gonna get another trade request coming in and so i think that if you want to keep this core around Kyrie and kd do want to play together they seem like really good friends um katie is really kind of the savior in brooklyn um when it comes to helping them out and especially almost taking them to to uh, the game-winning shot last year against against the Bucks, which um, fell unfortunate to the Celtics beating the Bucs in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I, I think it's the right choice you have to make. And it was a long time coming. Well, not a long time coming, but I know we talked about it earlier in the season. You just saw it, that you you have to get rid of them. There's no other choice that you can do, um, especially with, with this given offensive power on the team. You got to make a change and hopefully you can get the best of what has kind of been a blow up in Brooklyn the past two years, past three years.
0: Yeah, no, especially, I mean, also, it's got to be start out with the locker room overall. You have Kevin Durant, who said, trade me or fire Nash, I'm gone, which is just shows he has a little control over Kevin. Then you have Cam Thomas, a young player on the team. I don't know if you remember in the offseason, they mentioned Steve Nash's name in the interview and his response literally is just like that one golfer meme where he literally was just, like, yeah. like getting irritated at the thought of Steve Nash. And the biggest thing for me is just looking at the fact is I said they weren't running an offense. Whatever they were doing on defense sure as heck didn't work either. I was looking at their stats so far this year. They are bottom five, as in the five worst in the entire league in opponent three-point percentage, points allowed, rebounds allowed, offensive rebounds allowed, steals allowed, field goal percentages allowed, turnovers allowed. Like, I, I had to <laughs> take a breath because I was getting tired of listing how many stuff they let go defensively. It's ridiculous, and then that's why bringing in Emi Yes, I'll address it immediately, and I won't. We won't get deep into it because, like television Sports, we're not supposed. To, we're not talking about that type of stuff. There was a controversy with them for crude language with a female subordinate before start of improper workplace relationships, quote unquote. Adrian Wojanowski, not Blake Beasley. But let's get into the basketball aspect. The Nets were 29th overall defensively last year. This year, I'm pretty sure they're 30th. So they're horrible on defense. The Celtics were 37 and 12 since the month of February. To close out that year, just being, that's great basketball, 37 for 12. And then also let's look at the fact that if the biggest issue with the Brooklyn Nets is the fact that they're not running a consistently good defense, bringing an Emmy, his first year as the head coach, all starters on his roster uh, got an all-NBA defensive vote. The NBA three-point defensive rating, Boston was first. They were allowing people 33% from the field. And then you got to look at after game four, the Eastern Conference Finals, the playoff stat leaders, uh, all of them were smart was first in charges drawn. Brown was first in loose balls recovered. Tatum is first in deflections. Horford's first in shot contested. Williams was first in blocks for 36, AKA his entire starting five was playing really, really, really good defense. If you can give the Brooklyn Nets just somewhat of a competent coach and have them play defense and kind of tap into that Ben Simmons defensive potential, they could actually be a contender again.
1: Oh, yeah, I fully agree. And especially the word I want to highlight here that you said is confidence and coaching. This, this is key. I, it, it seemed like Steve Minash just did not want to get on KD and Kyrie for not playing hard. But I was watching the Bulls game yesterday against Brooklyn, and Brooklyn just seems to not even want to play defense on the court. I mean, there was a loose ball, and I saw Alex Caruso dive in between three Brooklyn players. It's just at at some point it's just heart and how much you want it, especially on on the defensive side of things. It's something that not a lot of people want to do. You have Royce O'Neal, who you picked up as a three and D player, and you want to help out your defense, but really, I mean, they're thirtieth, like you said. And so, I guess just getting all stars to want to play defense again, like they did with Tatum and Brown, and you have a dog on your team with Marcus Smart. Now you're switching to Royce, Royce O'Neill, who's a, who's a defensive player, and you can use Nick Nick Claxton in kind of a way that they were using Williams at like in the paint and everything to block shots. I mean, he's a tall, lengthy guy. Um, but but really, it comes down to Kay, Katie and Kyrie trying to get the most effort out of them, trying for them to play defense, but then also just getting everything out of them you can on the offensive side of the things and and really trying to get them to playing 100% at all times. Like, you looked at Kyrie yesterday and it looked like he didn't even want to be in the game. I'm pretty sure he scored four points. it. I'm pr- Most likely, if I'm 100% accurate, I don't think he scored in the first half, if I remember right. So it looks like he's just not even wanting to play, play hard out there. I mean, LeBron, I don't think he has not scored in double figures in, like, I don't know how many games they said it on. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, Kyrie Irving is a superstar and scored four points in yesterday's game. That, can't, that sure as hell can't happen. If you're of the coach and you see one of your superstars struggling, you got to get him the free throw line. you got to get him attacking. If he's not knocking down three-point shots, you got to get him some easy shots. So he can get into the flow of the game. And obviously with Steve Nash as your coach, former point guard, you think that he would have the mind to get him there, but, but obviously it just, it just wasn't working. And it was, it was, the, it was totally right call.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. One thing I do want to throw in there just because it's a chance to take the jab at the Warriors. So I have to, yeah. Steve Kirk, that Steve Kerr coach uh, coaching tree is looking real nasty. Luke Walton, fired. Steve Nash, fired. Technically Emmys from that tree because he's underneath Steve Nash. So, I mean he has a job now but <laughs> yeah kind of that so speaking of winners and losers well also I just want to throw in something I have to too the Warriors have as many losses as the Los Angeles Lakers that's being overlooked I want to throw that in there but just switching that up I had to take the dig I, I needed to at them yeah because I know later on they're gonna have an amazing year and I won't get a chance to-
1: well you got to fully take the dig I mean those guys don't want to play defense either it's it's awful to watch right now that Curry's leading the team in every category there is possible. It's like no one else wants to show up almost. Um, But they are superstars. They'll probably get it together after a while. But at some point in time, you have to want to play defense. We said this earlier, defense wins championships. You saw the Warriors and Celtics going out in the finals yesterday, two of the best defensive teams in in the world. And so if they're trying to get back there, especially with the Brooklyn Nets, since we're talking about them, Golden State Warriors, even, even the Lakers, those are three teams that don't play defense right now. And so at some point you have to get it together and it just comes down to wanting. Defense is not, you don't have to be the best skilled player to play on defense, it's just a heart and will.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. Defense does win championships in any league. Trades sometimes can too. So switching gears over to the NFL, the trade deadline for the first time in my life, I can at least remember, was actually interesting in the NFL. Normally like it's like one or two trades. I kept getting updates on my phone, just popping off, popping off, popping off. So there's there was a lot of deals that happened. We're not going to be able to get into all of them. But we could just go back and forth. I say a winner, you say a winner, then I say a loser, you say a loser. And then we could just start. For my winner, my first one, I got the Baltimore Ravens. And I know people are attacking that Roquan Smith trade. First of all, I'll get into it. For those of you who don't know, Roquan Smith was traded for a second and a fifth and A.J. Klein. And yes, he is on an expiring contract that is going away. But when I tell you Roquan Smith is one of the most talented players in the NFL, that is no exaggeration. And the Baltimore Ravens are ridiculously talented on offense because of Lamar, in my opinion. But they have blown two 17-point leads, and they have shown they're not capable of getting it done defensively. So getting a Pro Bowl-level talent and a locker room leader in Roquan Smith for only a second and a fifth is ridiculous to me. And also, looking at them, you got Tyus Bowser's coming back. David, uh, I don't want to butcher. His name, Ojagbo, either way, David, he's coming back. He's activated this week. Two key linebackers to that team. And now you're bringing in Roquan Smith. And it looks like the Baltimore Ravens could actually make a jump to winning the AFC North. The Steelers aren't a threat. And with the Jamar Chase injury, it's really looking like it's starting to open up. They took the leap to try to win right now while they still have Lamar Jackson under contract. And I love that move. And that's why they're a winner for me.
1: No, yeah, I'm going the same way you are. I was thinking Baltimore Ravens the whole way. It's a it's a big pickup picking up Roquan Smith, with within within the trade deadline. And as you look at it, I think the most important factor uh, getting acquiring him in the trade is you need to sign him to a long term deal. Otherwise, it's almost a bust. If you're going to trade a second and fifth round pick, is it's going to be a hefty price if you if you only get him for half a season, you didn't end up signing him for a long time. But like you said, I mean, this is a Ravens team where you look at the record and you're like, ooh, I don't know if they're that good. They've led. Going in after halftime in every game, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they they should, they should, you could argue that maybe they should have one loss, maybe they shouldn't shouldn't even have a loss on this season, but it really comes down to their defense and he should help help them out uh, the rest of the season. He's the leading tackler in the NFL right now. So, like you like you were saying before, he's just a, a guy in the locker room that's gonna be helping out the diversity within the defensive unit. And I think this is a huge pickup for them. It helps their defense. Um, and this is the area that they re- they really need to sustain, as they've been allowing so many points, especially in the fourth quarter. So hopefully, hopefully this pickup uh, will allow them to do that, and hopefully create a, a long, um, sustainable postseason for them. But like I said, you need to sign them to a lucrative deal; otherwise, otherwise the trade's kind of busted, and you, it's not even worth it.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So, who's your loser? Who's a loser you have?
1: I would say the loser. I, was, I was, So I was trying to go between these two, and I'm going to say it's either got to be the Rams or the Packers in this case. And the Packers probably because Aaron Rodgers has shown that he doesn't like his receiving court. I don't know how many years you have, have left of Aaron Rodgers being on the Packers or even in the NFL. And I would have thought for how smart the Green Bay normally is, they would try to go out like a clay pool or someone like that. But even, I mean, Chicago offered more than the Green Bay could, and that just kind of blows my mind. I would rather go to the Packers if I if I were Claypool, but he doesn't have that choice in the trade on the trade deadline. And so I think it's kind of crazy that they didn't try to acquire a piece for Rodgers to throw to and and trying to up their potential in the NFC. So that's just kind of crazy. And I, I wish they would have done something because I want to see Aaron Rodgers cook some more, but I don't really know. Other other than that, I have I have the Rams just because you need to replace Von Miller on defense as well. And um, I thought they were, I honestly thought they were going to try to go after Christian McCaffrey more than they did, but the 49ers ended up outbidding more than them. Um, but the Panthers turned also turned down on offer for two first round picks and Brian Burns. Um, and so the Rams needed an offensive lineman too. didn't get that. And so kind of with all that, they've been struggling this year and did not acquire any other pieces in the trade deadline. So it kind of goes hand in hand with the Packers. We both thought these teams would be decent. Maybe you were down on the Packers to start with. Uh, just because of the wide receiving core. But especially the Rams coming back, you thought they would have a chance, but it it looks like losing Von Miller was actually a a bigger piece than we initially thought.
0: Yeah, I I have the Packers as well, just because, I mean, Brandon Cooks literally was on the list as a loser because he wanted to leave the Texans so badly. How do you have a wide receiver that caliber? Begging to go somewhere and you don't go out and get him when that's literally the only thing you need. Robbie Anderson got traded. They could have used him. DJ Moore wasn't happy. Chase Claypool's not happy, and they still somehow left with nothing, so that's what I have for Green Bay. For the Bears are my other losers, and I know some people even had them as a borderline winner. I'm just really confused as to what they're doing, and I'm the biggest advocate of get Justin Fields' help because I, I love Justin Fields, and I don't think Darnell Mooney's enough on that wide receiver core, but it's just an odd direction they're going in. Like For example, you trade away uh, Robert Quinn for a fourth, who is a team captain, a guy who is held in such high esteem, when Roquan Smith found out he was traded, he cried because that is that big part of your locker room. You trade him away for the fourth. Then you trade away your other team captain, Roquan Smith, for a second and a fifth. So then in your head, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, they're tanking. That's pretty much the move they're going in. They're just not trying to win games. And you give away your second round pick for a wide receiver three in chase Claypool. That doesn't make any sense to me because I don't understand what you're trying to do for your future. If you want to tank and move forward and kind of build towards the future, why would you give away the second most important pick in your entire draft for a wide receiver three? It makes no sense to me. They confuse me. And I don't think Chase Claypool is that guy. I don't think he's going to be the difference maker. And even if he is, I think this draft is deep enough to where there are wide receivers who have more potential to help be better. And honestly, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. And then do you have any other winners?
1: Um. No, I'd kind of like just to piggyback on the Bears right here. They're gonna have to open up their check checkbook for uh Clay, um Claypool. I don't I don't really understand this trade at all. I mean, I get that they're trying to get Justin Fields, a probably a number one wide receiver to go to, but I think I honestly think he's a mediocre wide receiver that just wants to be paid big money and kind of his name just throws him out there. And so if you're the Bears, you're gonna you're gonna have to be paying a lot of money to keep him around. And I don't see it as a white thing especially when you have that number two pick, like you were saying. Uh, so um, I, I just, I don't really understand it. it. kind of blows my mind that they would try to do that, especially when Justin Fields has kind of been struggling of recently. So um, I thought it was kind of a weird, weird uh, trade situation. But uh, if you're a Bears fan, look at, and you're the Bears GM, you're the Bears owner, open up that checkbook, baby, because you're going you're to be playing, uh, paying Claypool quite a bit
0: yeah no it's odd and uh personally I would I have another winner I would have included the San Francisco 49ers but we talked about them so much last week yeah wouldn't make sense I just wanted to give the shout out so if there's any Niners fans listening they can't think oh I didn't include them I have to include them I have to Philadelphia Eagles man let's just talk about it Robert Quinn for a fourth round pick are you serious in the words of Richard Sherman and I feel the same way now because Howie Roseman has turned into, I don't even know what TV character it is, or a movie where you watch it and you're like, this guy's the villain. He's, a, I'd even go Despicable Me. We can go that far back. Well, you're watching, you're like, oh, this is a bad person. This guy's fully the villain. He's the problem. He's wrong with everything that I like. And then he turns around and Howie Roseman is a gosh dang genius at this point. I mean, a fourth round pick for Robert Quinn. And for those of you who don't know who Robert Quinn is, In the words of Richard Sherman, again, if you see Howie Rosemary on the other line, hang up the phone because it's not going to work out for you. He was a pro bowler last year, started every game last year, got 18 and a half sacks, and the Eagles got him for a fourth round pick that I'm pretty sure we don't even own. So the rich got richer. I had to throw that in there just because I'm super happy about it overall. And especially with Jordan Davis going down, um, I think it's a big help for the Eagles. And I was looking at our roster, and I do think the Eagles do have a weakness and the only one that we have isn't on the field, we're so young on defense, ridiculously young on defense. So bringing in a 13-year veteran who is a leader and established team captain in the NFL, it may not show on the field, but that can do volumes for our locker room, especially for a team that's trying to make a deep run towards a Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. I know.
0: It's beautiful. So- get the shit out of me.
1: I mean, Dylan, how about one you time. doing the podcast and your boys are ranked number one? I
2: know. I can't believe it. It's like a dream come true. I've like never, I, I became a Tennessee fan. I, I don't even know the year. I, my first game I ever went to was a Tennessee, Georgia game. My dad took me to it. Tennessee beat the ever-living hell out of Georgia, and I was stuck on it. I was like, I love this. I love it so much. And it's like I told Dylan Jesperson on the Dylan and Dylan show, it's like you give, like, crack to a teenager. And it's like, oh, you're going to want this. You're going to want this feeling. And That's all I've wanted is, like, the feeling of Tennessee wins. And it's I've been starved of it for most of my life. But now this season, it's just been, like, Christmas every Saturday. It's awesome.
1: Are you going to have a little deja vu come Saturday?
2: Is that what I'm hearing? I really hope so. I'm really, really hoping so. I I don't like being confident as a Tennessee fan because it doesn't usually pan out for me, but I, I'm kind of getting confident.
0: And for those of you who don't know, joining us, like I mentioned earlier, we have The Menace from Murray State, one of the best quizzers of fourth and fifth grade articles in the history of this nation, the self-proclaimed and also tunnel vision sports representative of the state of Tennessee, one of the best to ever do it. Dylan Holt just wanted to get the intro in there. And I have to ask you when you saw this game before the season with Georgia coming fresh off a national championship, would you have been able to guess that Tennessee would come in as the overdog and how does it feel?
2: So I remember doing the uh, previews for the season and I said, I was like, Georgia and Alabama are obviously in a tier above everyone else in the SEC. That's why I said then. And I was like, but I was like, I think Tennessee's getting there. I was like, you can see what they did last season. And they're, they're making strides where they're above teams like Missouri and South Carolina, who they just killed last year. They haven't played them yet this year. But assuming things stay how they've gone, those should be uh, Ws for the boys in orange and white, the good guys. Uh, I was like, you, you see the strides. Tennessee last year, they played Georgia, obviously huge underdogs. And they were the only team all year to score in the first drive of the game. And then I was like, "Whoa, that's a big deal. This team isn't supposed to be any good." Uh, Hinden Hooker led an amazing drive right down the field at Neyland Stadium, and it's like, "Hey, they've got something going." And obviously, Tennessee scored like I think seventeen points in that game, which was the most Georgia gave up in the regular season. That amazing defense. But yeah, in the summer, I was like, "It's Alabama and Georgia over everybody else in the SEC." And as the season's gone on, it's like, "Hey, maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe I was underestimating the boys in orange and white."
0: Honestly, you love to hear it. And uh, what do you think are your three biggest keys to victories going into this game? So interesting enough, I uh, I was just like,
2: this is going to be a cop out answer. Score more points than them, than them, obviously. But um, I've seen some interesting stats. And Blake, I, I've said it many times, you're the stat guy. But I've got some stats for you. Uh, Georgia, since Kirby Smart became the head coach, when they allow thirty points in a game, they're one and nine. Tennessee has scored more than 30 points in every game this season. Uh, When Georgia allows less than 30 points, 73 and six in the Kirby smart era. So that's where the rubber meets the road, as uh, some folks say. And if if Tennessee scores 30 points, which they've literally done in every single game this season, it's looking pretty good. Um, Obviously, Tennessee's got to play turnover-free football. If they do, I mean, I don't know if you guys watched the Kentucky game last weekend. The defense turned it on. I, I sat here uh, last week on the Dylan and Dylan show I, on the talking Walls. I started doing talking balls this year. And I was like, the Tennessee defense is bad. Like, that's all it is to it. And I, I don't like dogging my team, but it was the defense had been really, really bad. They gave it 300 passing yards to Dresser Wynn, who shout out to Dresser Wynn from UT Martin from West Tennessee, a Tennessee kid, just torched the secondary. And then they come back against Will Levis of Kentucky, a guy that people are saying should be picked over Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, hold him to 98 yards and three picks. And it's like, whoa, maybe this defense ain't so bad. They give up six points to Kentucky, a team that everybody's kind of been high on, and they kind of realize maybe not. Uh, LSU played earlier this month, or now it's November, played earlier last month, gave up 13 points to a team that's now top 10 in the country. I Man, there's been so many things that changed. If that defense can play like it has against LSU and Kentucky and maybe get away from how they played against Alabama, which it's Alabama, it's Bryce Young, it's Jamar Gibbs or Jameer Gibbs, all those guys. They're incredible. And how they play against UT Martin, which what an outlier that is. UT Martin was amazing uh, on offense against the Tennessee defense. If they can play like they did against LSU and Kentucky and shut down a Georgia offense that isn't very good. I mean, you got Stetson Bennett and Brock Bauer, and that's basically it. The running, Obviously you're going to have the running game of Georgia, but, Little sneaky No, I know Tennessee, the headlines are Hindenhook Hooker, Jalen Hyatt. Tennessee run defense is, like, low-key, like, really good. And it, people don't talk about it. Like, it's really, really impressive. So if the defense can step up, play clean football, just score more. I mean, I know that's, like, a very big cop-out answer, but just score more because when
1: Kirby lets up 30 points, he doesn't win. I think one of the biggest things you said there was that they really destroyed Will Lovis. I mean, they, looked, they, they made him look like a dude that just came off the street came, coming to play and a top draft prospect like he is, they made him look horrible. And like you said, I mean, defense is coming to play. And I, I like seeing that in SEC football where people are going to run all over the place, all across the field. But I mean, you got D backs covering the whole field, you got linebackers covering the whole field. It's, it's going to be a party up in Rocky Top this weekend.
2: Oh, a thousand percent. And I, I like the games in Athens. But Knoxville, I mean, even Athens is going to be painted orange. I know it. Knoxville's is going to be going crazy. I'm going to be here in West Kentucky and I'm going to be painted in orange. I mean, all my family's going to be painted in orange. It's just going to be a huge party.
0: Well, I mean, if one thing clear about the 40% BS show, and we we show this in our wheel, we always shows everything. We love parties. So we want to see Tennessee get it done. Especially, I mean, I'll mention one of the things that impressed me the most about you guys, even though it is the cop-out answer. I remember I saw Chad Johnson or Chad Otracinco, whichever is your cup of tea, early in the season, he was tweeting out. He's like, man, that Jalen Hyatt kid, that's wide receiver in the country. And he was saying that like week two or three. As a guy who likes Ohio State, I was looking at that, and I was like, blasphemy. So I finally decided to tune into a Tennessee game, first one I ever watched the entire year. And I was like, okay, let's see what he can do against some Alabama defensive backs. Oh, my goodness. That is one of the best individual performances I have ever seen. Tennessee. He's just on absolute fire right now. In all honesty, who do you think has to be the biggest factor showing up in that game, Jalen or Hendon?
2: Um, I don't think it's either one of them. I think it's Josh Heupel, the coach. I think the scheme that Josh Heupel has, I mean, even Kentucky's coach last week mentioned it. They were ready for what was going to happen. They're like, they're going to throw deep balls to Jalen Hyatt. We know what's coming. And the things that Josh Heupel is able to do and draw up these different schematic fits that just confuse defenses, it, I mean, it just absolutely kills them because I, I posted a TikTok. I've become a TikToker on the next Bryce Hall. It's happening. Um, I, I posted a TikTok where I was talking about, and I, it showed it on there. Uh, it was the first play of that Kentucky, not the first play, the first touchdown play of the Kentucky game where uh, Hinden hit Jalen deep, and it showed where they stacked the receivers. You, I think it was Cedric. It might have been Brew. I don't know. One of our amazing receivers stacked with Jalen Hyatt, And they run, and um, I think Cedric cuts in, and it confuses the absolute hell out of the linebacker in the corner there. And because Tennessee's going so fast, you get a linebacker over there on a wide receiver. Linebacker can't cover Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt is so fast. Jalen runs right by him. They don't know what to do. Touchdown, easy six. Tennessee up seven to nothing. Literally did not have to score a single, uh, like another point, because they only gave up six. That was all they needed. And it was like, 20 seconds in. So I, I think it's Josh Bull. What he's able to do, obviously, Hinden is the man. Jalen Hyatt is the man. Jalen's a future first-rounder, in my opinion. Hinden should be, but people are ageist, and I think that's ridiculous. But that's a story for another day.
1: If there's one worry coming into this game with the Georgia, Georgia offense is of Bennett, personally, I think sense of Bennett's overrated. I don't think he's as good as people are saying. But is there, is, is there one scheme on defense that you're trying to take away other than just the running game?
2: Uh, Brock Bowers, I think that dude is like, I don't. I, football's weird because, like, basketball, you can say, like, that guy's the best player in the country. Like, if we were talking college basketball, it's like, yeah, Oscar Sheboy he's the best or whatever. Uh, football's weird because, like, there's tons of guys like Jameer Gibbs, I think he is so good. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, I mean, there's so many guys at different positions that are so amazing. Brock Bowers, what he's able to do at tight end is so amazing. And I I'll be honest, hand up, have not watched a ton of Georgia football this year because it's boring. Like I, I was talking to my brother. The Tennessee Titans are five and two. Since I came on here last time, the Titans haven't lost. Like yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Like it we were like pushing the panic button, they suck, all this, and they just haven't stopped winning. But they play boring football, like incredibly boring. I've fallen asleep during every game this year because it's just been so boring. Georgia's kind of the same way. They play really, really boring football, but it works. They win. And I think the one like exciting factor of that offense is Brock Bowers. You never know what he's going to do. He can bring in the crazy catches. I watched like two plays of that Georgia-Florida game, and he made a a crazy catch. And then like bulldozed a defender and then walked in the end zone. It's like, yeah, him. He is him. And it's the evolution of tight end position. We saw it uh, with guys like Tony Gonzalez when we were younger, and then it uh, evolved into like Bronk. And then now we have like Travis Kelsey, and then it's going to go into like, Hopefully Kyle Pitts, if they ever throw him the ball in Atlanta, and then Brock Bowers, hopefully. Because I, I think that guy is awesome, even though I'm going to really hate him at about 2.30 on Saturday.
0: Oh, yeah. We are big Brock Bowers fans here at Tunnel Vision Sports, as you know. He uh, he viewed our uh, our voting for College Player of the Year, so we appreciate him. And I don't even know the name of the other tight end at Georgia. It, it's not coming off the top of my head. DeAndre Washington, I, I be believe. Freak of nature. What is he, like 6'7", six, 6'6"? He's like 6'7", 6'8",
2: because Tennessee, like, recruited him so hard. And I remember he almost came to UT.
0: Yeah, no, six seven six eight, either or, 260. Just an absolute beast all around the field, which my favorite part about football, sometimes you could be, or I guess it's with basketball, too. Sometimes you could be the biggest person on the field, biggest person on the court. And it just doesn't matter if someone is just that skilled. And that's what Hendon Hooker is. If Hendon Hooker wins this game, is that Heisman Trophy coming down to Knoxville, Tennessee?
2: Before I get to that, it's Darnell Washington. I misspoke. I, I called – I don't know where I got DeAndre Washington. It's Darnell Washington, uh, and he's a freak. Yes, I, I think Hinton's already got locked up, to be honest. I don't even think he has to win this game. I think as long as he sh- puts up, like, another 300-yard, three-touchdown performance against this Georgia defense, I think it's his. Um, I I was talking to my dad. He went to the Tennessee UT Martin game. And, it like, that's a game where it's like, yeah, they're going to kill him but let's get Hendon some stats. It was the week after the Alabama game, and it was right before halftime they took Hendon out, which I was like, yeah, good move. We're up by a billion. And I was like, but it kind of sucks. He didn't get his stats. And then you look at the box score. He had 315 yards and three touchdowns in a quarter and a half, and it's like, what in the world? So Hendon's able to do these things where he still puts up crazy numbers, and I I really don't think they have to win for Hendon to win the Heisman. Obviously, I want him to, but I think the things Hendon's done – Uh, already this season I I think as long as he has another big game with big numbers I think it's his I I really really do I think with all the preseason hype behind CJ Stroud and Bryce Young that I don't think they've reached what they could have been I still think CJ's been great I think Bryce Young's the best player in the country I think Bryce is awesome but I think there was so much hype behind those guys that they've let people down which sucks because they are they're both great but I I think they've let people down so you've got stories of a guy like Hinden who's led a team that was unranked to start the year. That was a dumpster fire 18 months ago to be in the number one team in the country at the first college football player rankings. I think as long as Hinton keeps it up, I think it's his.
0: Oh, I could see that 100%. I mean, personally, I want CJ to come away with it, but I texted you personally about it and I asked you, and when you broke it down for me, that award coming down there over to Knoxville, Tennessee, that would make a lot of sense over there, especially in the past, is he, he would be your first trophy winner, am I wrong? I know Peyton came in second. Yeah, he would be the first one. And I never
2: realized it until like high school that Tennessee didn't have a Heisman winner. And I had a good friend, shout out to Mitchell Bum. He's an Ohio State fan, Ohio State graduate now. And he would always, he's always teased me about it. He'd be like, man, Tennessee doesn't have a Heisman winner. And their best player ever, Peyton, lost to a a defensive back. I'm like, hey, let's stop that. And uh, Peyton even said it before the Alabama game. It's like Hendon's the man now. It's not Peyton Manning. So he's got the approval from Peyton, and I think it's him. I, I really do.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. I'm going to go off topic here for a second. If the winner of the loser of this game, are they still in the college football playoff? Will they make the final, the final four pairing um, that is going to come down? What What do you think of this? I mean, a lot of it turns to TCU and what they do, and what Clemson does. But do you see two SEC teams making it? I get a lot of it depends on if Alabama or LSU comes out of their side and would win the sec championship or anything, but do you see two sec teams in this? So I think
2: Tennessee can lose this game. I don't think Georgia can. And I know that's crazy because they're the defending champions, but I think Tennessee has such a stronger resume. Georgia hasn't played anyone. They, I mean, I know they played Oregon. Oregon was not Oregon when they played that game. Oregon's got so much better. I understand like when you really look at it, it's like, yeah, they still played Oregon. Oregon wasn't ready for that game. They they weren't what they are now. Oregon's so much better. I know they, they played Florida. I mean, I don't really consider Florida that big of a win for Tennessee. Tennessee underperformed in that Florida game. Um, I mean, Tennessee's got the win over Alabama, obviously. Uh, Pittsburgh is a win that I know now it doesn't look as great, but Pittsburgh's so injured at this point. That, that team was so impressive to me in week two. I, I really, really like that Pittsburgh team, which they've gone downhill, but going on the road and de- defeating the defending ACC champions uh, in week two, I thought was really impressive. Going to Death Valley and just thumping LSU. Like We'll see what Alabama can do to that team, but I mean, I thought that was really impressive. by Tennessee and then beating a top uh, 25 or top 20 Kentucky team by a billion and making Will Levis look like a joke I, I think can, uh, Tennessee's got such a good resume. Georgia—they gave up 24 points to Kent State, and they're supposed to have this great defense. They—they they were in a game all night with Missouri, and everybody in the country was like, "Missouri's going to beat Georgia. What is going on?" Uh, people have been doubting Georgia all year. People have just been like, "Oh, is Tennessee for real?" We know Georgia's for real. It's—I I think it's—it's it's different levels to it. I don't know. I just—I don't think Georgia's got the—the the spark, the fun, the resume. I—I I don't think so. But. I don't know. They they can always screw Tennessee over. I, I'm very aware. I'm very biased in this question.
0: Yeah. I feel like one thing that kind of hurts Michigan and Ohio State is just the fact that they play each other that last week of the year. Because if you get a loss early on, you can improve your resume. Oh, well, they beat the crap out of this team, beat the crap out of this team. But when that's your last look and your last like real vision is like, oh, because the loser is not going to get to play another game that year, realistically. And I think that's ultimately what's going to be able to to hurt them and keep them out. So I think it is going to be probably two SEC teams. They can even find a way to sneak Alabama in there. They always do.
2: Do you guys think there's a chance we could get three SEC teams? Like Tennessee loses this weekend. We get a Georgia, Alabama SEC championship game, Alabama beats Georgia. And let's say like Clemson loses and Michigan loses to Illinois. And then Michigan beats Ohio state, like something crazy.
1: I think it's a, I actually think it's a high, you have a high probability, especially what's going on in the big 12 and TCU ranked up there as well. I mean, one loss, I think they're an auto knockout. It's just because their strength of schedule is not, if you look at the college football playoff and how are they're ranking them the whole time they're talking about strength of schedule. I mean, Michigan during the year has played the school, of the blind and the deaf. And if I'm not going to lie, their strength of schedule sucks. They're playing no one on the upside. It's 11 versus zero. And so that's why they're not as highly ranked as other people would have thought. And Clemson, You just look at Clemson, you say they should be good based off the name, but when you're watching their games, they're not very good. They're just not very good. And so I would say if if Clemson loses the games, they're almost damn near auto out. And so you you could hypothetically have a chance at three SEC teams in there, and I would like to put Ohio State in there. I think those are the four best teams you have to put in. I don't think Clemson is... One of the four best teams, again, I think they're a lot overrated and the name gets them there quite a bit. But how fun would it be if you see three SEC teams in Ohio State, four prolific offenses going against each other and whoever scores the most points, let's let's get down and dirty in this. I mean, let's start scoring 70 a game. Let's see some basketball scores up in here. I, I love this. Uh, I would love to see it. I, I like TCU a little bit, but I think they're a bit overrated. Well, they got lucky in a few games. Um, they really... Sh- uh, do not play well in the first half. And so this is the thing that I would look for down the stretches is can they hold the first half lead? They're really not doing so. They come together with life in the second half, but I would love, and I would be a big proponent proponent of having three sec teams in there. I mean, it's college football, you know, sec comes first in mind. It's like, it's like faith down there. They preach sec football, sec football is built different and Ohio state's basically an sec football team. So let's, let's see basically four sec football teams.
0: Yeah, for me, I I honestly think it's not. If Clemson loses, it's when. I've had them, I've been looking for them to lose every single week. And you know what? I don't think they're surviving Sam Hartman twice if they see him again. He absolutely balled out, killed him that one game. And also looking at the top 25, the ACC is sneakily good. And Clemson, I don't think that great of a football team. You look at North Carolina, they're a top 25 team. They can maybe sneak them if they make the championships somehow. Then you got Syracuse, Wake Forest, NC State. All it takes is one team to knock them out with how weak Clemson's schedule has been looking lately. That's it. They're going to be done. And then that gives a chance for somebody to potentially sneak in, especially because the Big 12 is weird, man. There's no way I would have thought Kansas State would 48-point win just straight mollywop. I know the running back, your boy, Dylan, went off. But, like, I would have never saw that coming. There's a lot of things I don't see coming in the Big 12 overall. So just I think that's going to change the things around a little bit. And it could potentially happen in all honesty.
2: You want me to give you a game to watch for Clemson to lose? Because I've been thinking about this for a while. Oh, we got Let me see what the date is. Uh, Saturday, November 12th, at Clemson, South Carolina, the Louisville Cardinals come to play. I really think Louisville can beat Clemson. This past Saturday, they played Wake Forest, number 10 Wake Forest, and absolutely beat the insert word here. Whatever you want to say, they beat that out of that Wake Forest team. Uh, they forced, like, I don't know, like, 57 turnovers they
1: made. <laughs> eight in the like... second
2: half. I'm getting a phone call one second.
0: You said eight in the second half. So, Spencer,
1: I mean, that's Rocky. Tennessee calling you. That might be Rocky Top calling you. You got free tickets to the Georgia game. You're going fly down to Georgia. Let's go see some volunteer football. Okay, I'm good.
2: <laughs> uh, Louisville. I was talking about Louisville. I was getting called from Josh Hype. He's like, hey, we need to talk about the schematics. Um, they played Wake Forest last weekend. They forced like 57 turnovers, one by a million. And I, I like that Wake Forest team. You were talking about Wake Forest. I really think uh, Louisville started talking about maybe Satterfield's on the hot seat. And that Louisville defense, that Louisville offense, Malik Cunningham, they woke up. They're like, we like this coach. You want to save your coach. Go to Clemson and knock them out of the
1: playoff. And I, I think Louisville might have the juice to do it. They got some athletes on that team. If Tennessee were to lose this game, do you still have them in your top four of the college football playoff, especially ranked at number one and losing a number three team at Georgia?
2: So Dylan Jesperson's not going to like this, but um, I think Tennessee even losing to Georgia, as long as it's close. If it's a blowout, yeah, mm-hmm. drop them down. But I still think Tennessee's better than Clemson. I still think they're better than Michigan. I, I, Ohio state terrifies me. Obviously, Georgia, I, Georgia, Georgia's weird. Cause they're a defensive team. So I don't know what to think about it because there hasn't been a defense that could stop Tennessee um, Ohio state. I, I just, I dream of that game. I, I really think that's the national championship. I think that's the two best teams, but yeah, I don't think, I think they're still better than Clemson. I, I think they're still better than uh, Michigan. So I really think they, if they lose drop them down to four and let's have at it or three I I really just flop them. If it's close, if it's not, then yeah, drop
1: them, make them earn their way back. That would basically, if you're going to put them at three or four, if they went out, they're basically auto win the college football playoff then you would have to say, and then the winner of the championship is an auto win too. I mean, I don't know how else to put it that if Alabama were to beat Georgia and SC championship and Tennessee were to lose this game against there's your three right there. Then you have, I mean, it's weird because you're going to have three names in college football and name carries a, lo- a lot of weight when it comes to college football playoff. And so and it's just, it's going to be a crazy fun time. This is the year where you were to say, Oh, I wish there were six teams that were going to make the college football playoff just to see how all of this would play out. But if you're looking at year to year, this is probably the only year where, where you could say that. I mean, last you look at every time there's a semifinal in the college football playoff and it's like, Oh my God, it's going to be a 20, 30 point game. I don't even want to watch that. But this year I would pay to watch every game. Yeah, we talked about
2: last week, I I presented my question. I was like, is this year the perfect argument for this 12-team playoff that's coming? And the other Dylan here was like, I don't know. Like, some of these lower-tier teams, like, do they really deserve? Like, last week, I think Penn State was 12th in the country. He's like, does Penn State really deserve to make the playoff? Who cares? What if they get hot? What if that freshman quarterback gets the start? What if that freshman running? That's, like, the best part of college basketball. That team that, like, hobbled in and barely made North Carolina this past season. Everyone was rooting for North Carolina, as long as you're not a Duke fan. Um, everybody was rooting for North Carolina, and that, that was so much fun. Like, could you imagine Penn State, like, hobbles in, and all of a sudden they upset Alabama, and it's like, whoa, Penn State just became, Amer- became America's team, kind of like Tennessee did, a- unless you're from the SEC and they know to hate Tennessee because our fans are the worst. That's okay. Um, I-, I think this season there's teams, like, obviously there's the top, and we've talked about it with tennessee and georgia and ohio state uh, alabama blondes in that conversation and then you've got teams like clemson and michigan and tcu and i like if it wasn't for this past week i would have thrown oklahoma state and i really liked oklahoma state and then they just absolutely pooped the bed um penn state before this week you got teams that are fun interesting And i think that that 12 team playoff will present just so much more interest rather than we're at this point in the season. It's like, okay, we got to watch Tennessee and Georgia and then we got to watch to see if Clemson loses.
1: Yeah. Well, honestly, if you throw that 12 uh, team playoff in this year, Tulane could get in this year. I mean, that's a team that would have a shot. You could have them seeing play Alabama. It's a team that uh, knocked off K-State earlier in the year. It's just throw some fun into it. It's it's not March madness anymore. What, What would it be then? It'd be like January madness or something. I mean, just throw some more love into it. It would probably be December then, but, December disturbedness,
2: December, uh, I don't know, a D word, December, I don't know,
0: December Delight. There we go. (laughs) I love it. Grand market, put it in. Speaking of delights, we're going to move forward to mine and Spencer's favorite part of the show. It's called The Wheel. Uh, Let me break it down for you. So pretty much we have random sports categories, but also we have stuff that's super off topic. About a couple weeks ago, I compared Chick-fil-A to Chris Paul. We have a lot of different stuff. Where we go down and we randomize it, go through the wheel, and it has random, like, type of game discussions we can do, and then random topics. And I actually am about to spin it right now while we have our theme song going. Okay, I accidentally did it twice. So we have a choice of two things for the first time in wheel history. You know, so let's make history. So there's two different ones. It could be a group vote for which one you guys would rather do. So the first one is drafting, something I know you're pretty similar with, with the the out-of-the-box. So we would be drafting a three-on-three team. Each of us would get a turn. Dylan's our guest, so he would go 1st and go one, two, three of cartoon characters. Or, comma, it's something I added that's new. It's called best, and then we have the different categories. So it's best and then beer. So we're not going to do what is the best beer. Instead, it's going to be like, best sports moment that would go along with the beer. So, for example, you know some people are like, I'll throw one out there. I don't like baseball much, but people are like, oh, opening day, you know, sitting there watching TV. We're not talking about getting drunk or anything. We're talking about enjoying one and what sports moment would happen to be the best to enjoy it while, a singular one, but what sports moment would happen to be the best while you're enjoying that one. And then we would just all go through and each pick like two or three so which one would you guys rather do, cartoons or the beer one?
2: That's I, I one. mean, Sounds phenomenal. both of them sound great. I am up to
0: whatever. As you said which one? The beer one. All right. Well, that's it. Dylan, you are a guest, so we will let you go first. Do you guys want to each pick two or three? Let's do three.
1: Yeah, fine.
0: Three.
2: three. More than put... <clears throat> So my number one, this came right to mind. I'm going back. I'm giving you a specific moment, and I had one singular Budweiser. I was sitting in Busch Stadium in uh, August, Cardinals-Yankees, Sunday afternoon, 107 first pitch. I'm watching the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Yankees, Aaron Judge up to bat. I have the beer guy wave to him. He hands me the uh, the Budweiser can, excuse me. It's got Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina on the can, their faces, my two childhood idols when it comes to baseball. I get to crack it open, enjoy a nice, crisp Budweiser in St. Louis, watching the New York Yankees, Aaron Judge, the juggernaut of baseball, and my childhood favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals. And then on that day, I'd been going to baseball games for, uh, like, I don't know, like forever. And I saw the Cardinals win for the first time ever in person at Busch Stadium great moment great time and a great just enjoy it with one singular beer
0: all right spence you second or third because we're about to snake draft it so i'm good with going second or third
1: uh I'll, i'll just go now so let's pin this back to last year everyone knows i'm a north carolina fan north carolina everything north carolina football north carolina baseball north carolina basketball but let's take us back to last year in march we're playing duke in the final four Playing Duke in the final four. For those of you that don't know about me, I live in Kansas city. So obviously we're not going to talk about the national championship game because that was just a horrible game for me to be watching in Kansas city. As I'm in power and light, you picture power and light. I don't know if any of you guys ever seen this. There's a mega TV and there's probably a couple thousand fans there. I'm maybe one of four North Carolina fans there in the front row though, but let's take it back to the Duke game. I'm going to throw my Coors out there because the Coors The mountains are blue. The mountains are blue this game and light blue because North Carolina absolutely kicked Duke and threw him down. We left coach K to the dumpster. We basically retired him on two different instances. And that was maybe almost one of the best uh, sports moments of my life. Other than seeing North Carolina uh, win the national championship uh, twice, um, just because I wasn't, I was too young to watch in 2005, but Absolutely seeing them dog water Duke in the, in the final four game and seeing them give a little farewell to Coach K. See you later, dude. We don't want to see any of you anymore. Um, and just kind of seeing them progress their way in the national championship as a nine seed coming in. I had, didn't really have much hope going in, but those mountains were blue that day. The Coors was popped. Uh, we were having a grand time. I was going crazy. Again, there were probably maybe seven not seven UNC fans there that day until four came and actually showed their beloved faith in the national championship. But that was a great day where the mountains were blue. The, sh- the sun was not there. It was, it was very dark out, but the mountains are always blue with the Coors.
0: I'm going to go with this, this. I'm not going with a specific moment on this one. I'm going to go broad here. But after, and you guys know this, after graduating college, you know, working Monday through Friday. It's a lot different than being in college and having that Monday through Friday. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting all day for one thing, Monday night, that first Monday night of the year. And I hear two noises. I hear Mariah Carey or Carrie Underwood. My bad, that's blasphemy. It's, I, I got Christmas on my mind. So I had to think of Mariah, but I hear Carrie Underwood and she starts hearing singing and I hear one other sound. It's not so. Having that moment, I get chills right then and there. And I can go, I'm not clocked in. I can just sit back, relax, and just enjoy this nice football game. So that's got to be my. All right. And then I guess if we're snaking it, I would go again. So if I have to go a moment, I I went to the Eagles Cardinals game. Uh, Me and my friend, we uh, had tickets up in the higher rows. We went to take a picture down in the lower rows and, you know, ended up being in the lower rows for a while there. And I just remember sitting there chilling back and that beer tasted amazing, first of all, because it was overpriced, so it, it better have. You know, close your eyes and just sitting back watching the Eagles. I've never seen the Eagles win a game live, so sitting there watching them do that and then just having a nice sip while Jalen Hurts had a nice, amazing game on his way to an MVP consideration season. It was just a beautiful moment for me overall. And I had to go with that, and it was a Modelo.
1: I got some up again. There's this, like, I don't know if you remember being in Kansas City, but there was this beer called the Rolling Rock. You remember that? Dylan, do you know what kind of beer I'm talking about? Of course know. I do. This is just like selling water in a can. The most disgusting beer that you could ever buy. It's probably worth maybe a penny. But this is what I think about when I look at the Bengals this year. I, I just, I, I don't, I think they're so overrated. This beer is overrated. The Bengals are overrated. Their offensive line's overrated. Joe Burrow probably not overrated, but he's going to be hurt. You might as well throw that rolling rock to the side because I don't know how long he's going to be playing. And with Jamar chase out right now, it's, it's, it's just dog water in, in Bengals country. And so that's why I'm going to compare. I know I'm blowing. Um, um, Jamar chase, Blake, your favorite wide receiver in the game. But I just, I think the Bengals are so overrated rolling rocks overrated. It's probably it's the worst beer known to mankind. And that, that's why I'm going to have to put the Bengals as kind of on a poop list They're just be thrown in a trash can right now. So overrated, especially after making the Super Bowl last year. I can't even explain it how badly they're overrated
0: they are. Yeah, at least somewhat back up what you said. Literally, I don't know if you guys will see it. And anyone watching on YouTube, you can replay it. He literally said, rolling rock and out. You're about to say something good. And I literally went, so that, that's all. That, I just want to add on. I wanted to co-sign
2: So I got my last two picks. I'm doing both of them moments because I just like telling stories. Um, As we all know, I came on here to talk ball football. So I got, I got to incorporate ball football in this. Uh, Well, if we go back, what is it? Three weeks ago, Uh, Tennessee, they beat this team from down South. They wear red. Uh, I think it's called, they're called Alabama. And it was the first time in 16 years. And everyone uh, became aware on social media that this game, uh, the significance of winning it. And even though it hasn't been competitive, Alabama still celebrated hard. Tennessee celebrated a little bit harder. And the cigars became a very popular thing. Um, if, if you know me, I'm kind of pessimistic. My brother and I, we watched the game, and uh, we didn't have cigars ready because uh, we were, were a little pessimistic. So we went out in West Kentucky where we live trying to find cigars. Couldn't find them. So we did as God intended. We bought some cigarillos, some good old black woods, or Blackwoods backwoods, excuse me, And we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and we fake smoked some backwoods because I wasn't smoking backwoods. No, thanks. I took a funny picture with some backwoods, walked in Buffalo Wild Wings, ordered a blue moon, dropped the orange in there and celebrate as God intended at Buffalo Wild Wings, drinking a blue moon, watching Kentucky fans freak out as the Tennessee Volunteers beat Alabama. It was absolutely incredible i loved every second of it with my one blue moon and i blue moon is my favorite beer i I love it so much it's nice and refreshing it's it's one that i've learned to really love as i get older um and then my last one i gotta talk about my murray state racers I, i absolutely have to uh my senior year or no my junior i don't know in college i can't remember college um it was one of those times murray was so good in basketball We were in the OVC Championship. It was Ja's sophomore year, Ja Murray's sophomore year. We're up there for the OVC Championship. At this time, I'm working for Barstool Sports and uh, I'm running social media for him. And Ja had uh, acquired so many interactions on our post that I got paid like, like 100 bucks. And so I bought, I was 21 and I bought beers for me and my buddy. And we drank them as the time ran down. And Murray went in the OVC Championship, dapped up Ja very very cool moment moment i'll uh live in my head forever obviously jaw wasn't jaw yet he was just like murray jaw but from what he became i can't remember the exact beer was but uh, ovc championship jaw dapping up beer can't beat that
1: yeah i'm gonna have to make this one quick but uh, i don't know what you guys refer to this as it could be a blue yummy could be a uh a blue bush latte but i'm going with bush light here you don't know. A lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. You don't know what you're going to get out of it. Some people think it's overrated. Some people it's un- underrated. I got to throw it next to the Golden State Warriors this year. It's, it's my team to go with. It's my NBA team. I, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a huge Draymond Green fan. I love Draymond Green. Um, Jordan Poole is coming up there besides it. But you just don't know what you're getting out of this Golden State team this year. Are they overrated? Could they be underrated? Why are they losing these games? They're allowing so many points, but I'm going to have to put Bush Light up there just because you don't know what you're going to get out of it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. And some people love the Golden State Warriors. Some people don't like them. So just have to throw that out there. Not a specific moment, but just to a team that's starting the NBA season.
0: Yeah, and if I have to compare mine to, it's a tight race. I'm going to do a throwback to when we went to school together while we were at Rockers. And during that season, the Philadelphia Eagles were fresh off a Super Bowl, but we had we had a lot of issues, especially with Carson going down. And there was a lot of stuff that was kind of confusing about the team. So I'd like to compare them a little bit. to. They were a little cheap, to be honest. We kind of cheaped out on paying players that year. And that, that was a struggle that caused us to be bad. And we are a little cheap and we were a little broken. But when it came down to it at the end of the game, we were reliable. And we won games for our team because we could always get the job done. And that's what those tall boy Natty lights did for me during my early college days. The singular one. But... <laughs> I pause. shout out that if you go to Rockers, you know. But that singular one, man. I mean, I was poor, I was cheap, but I wasn't broke. And neither neither were the Eagles, and neither was that drink. So, yeah, um, that'll do it, at least for what I have to say for the rest of the podcast. Tune in to uh, Wallet. We'll you advertise your own, Dylan. Thank you. We have episodes every single week coming out on Wednesdays. And the only other thing I would like to say, I guess, would be nothing. That's it.
2: Yeah, check out the Dylan and Dylan show. It comes out Friday, uh, Talking malls. It probably comes out Sunday. It might come out Monday. Uh, It'll be on Spotify. It'll be around uh, this podcast on those Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you get your uh, podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't have much else to say other than uh, Dylan. Hope the boys can bring it out this weekend and defeat the Bulldogs. But uh, orange and white, I guess, this weekend. Rocky Top it is. Yes, sir. It's home sweet home to me. Go balls. Good right, luck. And thank
2: you so much, Dylan. All thank right, you I'll for having me.